0: every realm that I enter into, I want to be successful. And that's just kind of, at at this point, it's innate. So if it was in academics, I was like, I want to be successful. If it was on the track, it was like, I want to be successful. You know, there was never anything, there's nothing I do where I'm like, okay, being average or being, you know, definitely subpar. Like I want to be good to very good to great at anything that I take on, especially when you're putting in the hours, you know, and that's, I think that's such an important point. Like, If you put in the time and the work, it pays off, you know, and that's really what I love about track and field because that's unlike maybe some other sports where talent can outweigh hard work. Track is one and running, uh, jumping, throwing where what you put in is what you're going to get out. Hey, guys, this is Dr. Jason Campbell speaking about young minds can dream big beyond sports. Uh, I'm currently a physician resident in the Department of Anesthesiology at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon, uh, a recent graduate of the Ohio State University College of Medicine, and a former Division III All-American track and field athlete at Emory University. And you guys are listening to the Heads and Tails podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life, you can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Hello ladies and gentlemen. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, 4.3 Performance Lab, which has locations in Boon and Wyckoff, New Jersey. Uh, 4.3 offers handcrafted, tailor-made rehabilitation, nutrition, and training for athletes. And I've been around the physical therapy and sports performance world since 2007, and it's safe to say that not all PT practices are created equal. Uh, Just as an example, after my knee surgery a few years ago, I developed debilitating kneecap pain, which was completely different from the pain that was addressed in the surgery, which was super annoying. I was eventually prescribed painkillers and anti-inflammatories and still found no relief. I was then basically told that I was screwed, uh, but based on a referral from my high school teammate and NFL fullback, Mike Burton, I began working with Dr. Danielle Clark, and I immediately started uh, to see results, uh, even after just the first treatment session. And I've been working with her and the rest of the team at 4-3 ever since. In my mind, 4-3 is the gold standard for sports rehabilitation and performance. Unlike the PT mills out there, you can expect one-on-one time with your physical therapist and also expert guidance from their technicians. Another thing I love about 4-3 is that they're always ahead of the curve on the latest evidence-based treatment and performance techniques. Some of these include blood flow restriction, which was an absolute game changer in my recovery from knee surgery. A heat acclimatization chamber uh, for athletes training in triathlons or marathons in warmer, warmer climates. Uh, muscle oxygen sensors VO2 max testing uh, resting metabolic r- rate testing customized nutrition plans a cycling studio where you can measure your FTP and watch Netflix while you're you know, getting your winter workouts in on those Wahoo smart bike trainers and um, I reap the benefits of, of that this past winter uh, and they also have Titleist TPI experts uh, to help you on the golf course and, and, and so much more so uh, whenever my family or my friends ask me where to go for PT without hesitation I send them over to 4-3 because uh, pain is not something to, to ignore and if you live in northern New Jersey like I do uh, don't wait until it's too late listen to your body and book an appointment at, at team43.com that's team four is in F-O-U-R uh, the number three dot com uh, and if you're not in the area be sure to follow them at team43 on Instagram uh, they're always posting great content to keep you healthy. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today, I'm excited to have on Dr. Jason Campbell, uh, who graduated from The Ohio State University College of Medicine and was a Division 3 All-American track and field athlete at Emory University. He is currently a physician resident in the Department of Anesthesiology at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. And I came across... Uh, Dr. Campbell's work uh, in an article that he wrote for the Seattle Times uh, titled Young Minds Can Dream Big Beyond Sports. So obviously that struck a chord with me and um, what I tried to put out for you guys with, with this audience. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit today about how forming an identity outside of sports early on uh, is important. So Dr. Campbell, thanks for for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, so let's start off by talking about what inspired you to write the Seattle Times uh, article in the first place. Sure. Well, I think that there's been a lot
0: of um, a lot of literature, a lot of articles recently that have started to come out about this topic. You know, for me, I remember seeing uh, RG three, so Robert Griffin the third. He was coming to the Washington uh, Redskins football team in 2011 when I was uh, graduating from Emory University and also coming back to D.C. to do Americorps, uh, and this was a time where he was heralded as like the guy the leader, um, was here to kind of, you know, uh, save Washington football. Um, and at, at this time, uh, it, it was so ironic that just recently I saw where he was just kind of battling just to make the, basically make the third string or second string for the, the Baltimore Ravens. And it just got me thinking like, this guy is my age, you know, 29 to 30 years old. And, um, his career is is almost over. Uh, Some would argue that it is over. And my career as a young resident physician is just beginning. And so I just thought a lot about the juxtaposition and how, you know, for um, young, you know, black men and and, and minorities, I want us to have a greater, um, greater ability to to have a a lifelong, uh, lifelong achievement. And so that's what got me really inspired to write the article.
1: Yeah, that, that, that uh, RG3 story strikes a chord with me as well um, because I was in D.C. at Georgetown for grad school okay. uh, at the same time when he was kind of like at his peak of uh, the savior of, of Washington. Um, and it was tough to see him go down with that ACL. And you're right, like yeah. the subsequent you know struggle he's had to like make teams after that. Um, right. And the dynamic between you and uh, RG3 in that, you know, you're just, you know, at the start of like your career and he's still trying to like figure out what what's next for him. Right. All right. So can you give us some background on your upbringing and your athletic career? Sure. Yeah. So I'm a, a native of Northwest Washington,
0: D.C. and I um, have a younger sister and we were raised by my uh, mother and father. And my mother is a research scientist and a um, A leader in academic medicine, and my father is a lawyer who practices probate law. Uh, My father, who I I like to hit on uh, first, um, was one of eight children who uh, had to work throughout his entire life to put himself through school, and was the only one of his siblings and and his parents that actually went to uh, college. And then, you know, he pursued a law degree after that, that he obtained from the University of Pittsburgh, where my mother also got her PhD in epidemiology. Um, So I definitely have been um, blessed to have support in a plethora of ways, uh, uh, or kind of that word taken to many levels. Um, But I, like I said, I spoke to my father because, you know, he came from much less than he gave me um, and still, you know, realized that, you know, he wanted his children to, to grow up in a, way that was different with different opportunities and opportunities that were afforded him. So I always like to kind of point that out because I know that, you know, there are are my counterparts that may not have uh, grown up with a lot of the similarities I did, but, you know, you can definitely change your stars like my father did.
1: Yeah. And you obviously had some uh, great uh, high achieving examples, um, you know right in front of you from the day that you were you were born so um that was yeah. that's cool so when did you know that you wanted to become a doctor you know so my mother was at
0: howard university um, which I, I, I penned in the article on uh, the Seattle Times. And when I would walk around Howard University and the Howard University Hospital and the Howard University Cancer Center, I just saw a ton of uh, black professionals, uh, doctors, physical therapists, nurses, uh, and I saw them helping, helping our community and helping a, p- a multitude of patients. And I thought, you know, this is something that I could see for myself as a, um, at that point, a young athlete. And then now as a former athlete, I had always thought about sports medicine and just the combination of the two uh, a love for helping people and then a love for musculoskeletal mess medicine and for Anatomy uh, and I think that's what originally drew me to this field
1: okay great and uh... One quote from your, your article is that, that since I was a child, everyone in my life told me I mattered on and off the athletic field. So can you talk to us a little bit about like what the start of your athletic career was like? And then also, like what did that look like in terms of like people telling you that you were more than just an athlete from an early age? Sure. Well, I, I attended a private school in Washington, D.C.,
0: uh, Georgetown Day School. Uh, and I think that I really attribute a lot of my success to that school. Um, it wasn't necessarily the walls or the pillars, but it was the teachers and it was the environment that was cultivated there—an uh, environment in which my classmates were also very high achieving. So you know, I, you know, I thought I was you know just just getting by with what I desired to do, based on what some of them were doing from you know middle school and and uh, early high school, uh, and so. What I think it didn't necessarily afford me early on was a really, really, really strong track and field program, which now it has developed into, but I actually sought that out um, on an outside of school track team. And that was, uh, like I alluded to in the Seattle Times, where uh, it was a majority black, uh, majority African-American track and field team. Um, Most of the uh, young student athletes were from the inner city uh, and, and a really stark Contrast to my upbringing, um, and that was where I think that I realized, wow, you know, here is where it's either you run fast or you may not have the opportunity to attend college, um, and at least not any of the the private colleges with the really uh, expensive tuitions that I was, you know, striving for, uh, and that's some of my. T, uh, former teammates were striving for as well um, and that's also where i saw what real i mean i think passion looked like because knowing it was like this is this is where you know you, you either make it happen or it doesn't happen for you uh, and you don't have parents that can can make it happen for you um as i did so that was one thing that i really i think uh, a stark point where i look back at my athletic career because i mean i saw I saw a lot of talent and i saw a lot of hard work uh, and it's something that i that i wanted to emulate both on and off the athletic field.
1: Yeah, that's the super interesting, you know, part of your story. I mean, you said at school, it almost seemed like the competition was in the classroom, you know, but... Right, uh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, but in track necessarily, you know, it wasn't necessarily that people weren't competing on the track, but you had your club team that you uh, raced on and, you know, you kind of got a, a different perspective from where those kids are coming from. So, right. what kind of conversations right. did you have with them, um, with kind of those different worlds that you guys were living in?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I also got to you know, it was the uh, DC Red Wings. I got to shout out the uh, the team is no longer in function. But anybody is listening that wants to do the DC Red Wings, you know that Coach Desmond Dunham and and his wife, Coach Jamie. Um, I think that they always imparted on us school first. Um, I think that's important. They realize that we we were all coming from kind of different backgrounds and had uh, different um, maybe thought processes that were being put on us by our parents, but they still, just like for their own uh, blood children, they always told us, you know, you know, student athlete. that was something that I, even only being in eighth grade and 14 years old, remember and as, you know. Coach Dunham and I still have a close relationship now. Um, It's something that we still can talk about and you know, you know, think back to. Um, And he still has that kind of mentor influence, which we'll get to later on me. Um, And so I think that the conversations I had with the, you know, my former teammates were just, you know, conversations about what we wanted our life to look like. Um, And I don't necessarily remember hearing a lot of, you know, aspirations for being a lawyer or being a businessman or being a physician. Now that some of them have not aspired to that now, or being an engineer. Um, but I don't remember, you know, at talks of, can I be in the Olympics? Can I run for one of the top division one programs in track and field? Um, can I, you know, just be the best athlete I can be and hopefully let that take me to, uh, to a high, a high level.
1: Right. It's almost like their starting bar was like much lower than other people who might've come from a, a different background.
0: Yeah. I mean, from an academic standpoint, just, it, it was different, you know, and I, You know, having not grown up in in that environment, you know, really, you know, hard, you know, we can look the same and, you know, and and have the same complexion. But sometimes hard to kind of to fathom really, you know, what was what how that drive was when you just knew that, like, you know, their parents did not have enough money to to pay for uh, an education that they deserved, you know, that they equally deserved to me. And so it was it was their legs and how far they could throw and jump. Or nothing, and so I think that's something where uh, it brings you to why I, I wrote that article to talk about how we can, you know, provide more mentorship or other avenues so that it doesn't come down to whether you're athletically talented or not to get a, a four-year college degree.
1: Yeah. And that's, it's funny for me to think about because, I mean, I technically came from a privileged background and I went to Rutgers University for undergrad. And honestly, my favorite class that I ever took at Rutgers uh, was this class called Race, Class, Gender, and Schooling. And it basically talked about kind of like the socioeconomic discrepancies that existed in the world. And I came from a town with like, you know, Maybe one African American kid in my entire school. So right. when I went to Rutgers, it's a much diverse population. It really opened my eyes to what like the real world is really like, and what you know a, a lot of uh, minorities go through on a daily basis. That in my mind, I'm yeah. like, oh no, like you know, segregation's done. So like we're good, right? Like no, like right. it's not. It's not that easy. Yeah. Um, right. So it's 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 interesting to hear that you know that passion. That, that comes from almost like a fight for your milk kind of thing like you gotta like this is your your one shot but it's also cool to hear that your coaches and teachers were' really driving the um, you know school work and you're a student athlete first oh no yeah absolutely like you said uh, we just need I think we need more coaches uh,
0: I think teachers we have but we definitely need more coaches that drive that school first mentality everybody cannot make it to the NFL or the NBA uh, or even to be a high profile collegiate athlete and the, the, the fact of the matter is even if they do, most of them their career will be over before they turn 33 um, you know so you know 33 to 65 I think 65 is where the average for retirement. Um, so what do you do? you know <laughs> if you haven't yeah, it's really, a long time span it's a long time span exactly exactly.
1: So you know you obviously were a, a very successful collegiate athlete be becoming an all-American so I'm curious you know you seem like you had a great balance going into college, but was there ever a time when your identity of as an athlete outweighed your your other interests? You
0: know this is a question I love because I was I was just talking about this and I think that, in college, you know, we, when you're an athlete, I think it is important that when when you're at practice, when you're in the weight room, when you're at a, for me, at a track and field meet, that you are giving 145%. I mean, it's all in, right? You know, you're there for yourself. You're there for your team. You're there for your coach who believes in you uh, as much as your parents, if not more at times. And so um, I think that early on, maybe freshman, sophomore year, you know, I was thinking like, how far can track and field take me? I love to compete. I love to train, you know, out on coach, my coach, Coach John Curtin from Emory University, he would tell you that I love to, to train more than compete. Um, but I just, you know, I, I, I think that um, there was definitely a time there where, you know, I was like, probably like one of like the jocks at a school like Emory, where it was definitely an academically uh, focused place, right? It's, top 20 institution in the States, everybody's there to really uh, push the limits and the boundaries on research, on medicine, on business, on law. And so um, I, I know that because I think that I was kind of like one of the jocks, like Jason, you know, he, he's, he's an academic guy and he's intelligent, but he, he's an athlete, he's, he's really fit, he loves, you know, everybody would come out and, and, and cheer me on when we had our home track and field meet. So certainly in college, I think that my identity probably more laid towards that, like Jason, the captain of the track and field team, that did like Jason, the future doctor. Um, everybody knew I wanted to be a doctor and everybody supported it. Um, but, you know, I did not go straight into medical school. I had a few years in between graduating from undergrad and starting, um, in which I really was able to kind of augment my academic record and solidify things. So I definitely think that in college there was definitely an identity, uh, not crisis, but I was definitely more of an athlete um, at times.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because I, I'm always in this dilemma of like, you know, obviously you want to succeed as an athlete. So, like, I I'm, I like hearing stories like your own that, you know, when athletes are successful outside of their sports, you know, because you have to have some sort of balance to maintain the grades that eventually get you into med right. school and stuff like that. Right. Um, so, yeah, I guess my next question was like, yeah, how were you able to achieve such a high level of success in college athletics while still focusing in other areas? But from what I hear, and you correct me if I'm wrong, basically like when it's time to work, you work, you know, I practice and like you're an athlete, I practice. And then you put the the classroom hat on once practice is over. Right. And I think that, you know, I uh, was energized by
0: being in the... Uh, physics lab, knowing that I was going to practice afterwards. I was like, nobody else in here is about to go to a, a hard track workout when they finish. And I, at the same time, I would get a track practice sometimes and know that like people didn't just come from a three hour tedious, you know, you know, mind boggling physics lab either, you know, and so I used both of them to kind of push myself in the other realm. And I thought that that was something that I always loved, even back to days when I did research as a high school student. I was like, you know, I'm doing research, then I got to go do my summer run, you know, to get ready for fall cross country. And so it was just a cycle where it was like, no matter what realm you're in, you're always going to work hard in that realm. And that definitely comes from my parents, not just their encouraging words, but what I saw in them from their work ethic.
1: Right. And that, that's the second time you've mentioned competition in the classroom. And I think that's like key for athletes to kind of understand or, you know, get that, that point of like when you can flip the switch from having the competition on the, on the track or on the field. And also, you know, integrate that same competitive drive in the classroom. You know, whatever it, whatever does it for you. Like, like you said, like you yeah. think about the practice that you're doing afterwards, and that no one else is doing that, and that kind of drove you to succeed in the classroom as well. So, every realm that I enter into, I want to be
0: successful, and that's just kind of at this point, it's innate. So, if it was in academics, I was like, I want to be successful. If it was on the track, it was like, I want to be successful. You know, there was never anything, there's nothing I do where I'm like, okay, being average or being, you know, definitely subpar. Like I want to be good to very good to great at anything that I take on, especially when you're putting in the hours, you know? And that's, I think that's such an important point. Like if you put in the time and the work, it pays off, you know? And that's really what I love about track and field because that's unlike maybe some other sports where talent can outweigh hard work, track is one, and running, uh, jumping, throwing, where what you put in is what you're going to get out. So yeah, so I think like you said, like it's been like the parallels from my parents, from track and field into the classroom, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're both there.
1: Really cool. So I'm curious, what, what has your transition to life after track and athletics been like? So,
0: you know, um, this is, I'm glad that you asked that. I think that one thing that I realized or that has been nice is that I've been able to continue to have highlights and to continue to have realms in which I'm able to uh, succeed and get awards. And I'm not talking about, you know, in track, it might be a tangible award. Um, maybe, you know, obviously at high levels, the gold medal, but in other levels it might be just a first place trophy, a championship. But um, as I've been able to uh, go into the, Realm of medicine and being a resident, I've been able to um to exceed here uh, and and be successful in maybe treating a patient who was just very thankful that you know I was there to care for them, um into being able to increase diversity and awareness and inclusion, um where I am in residency and even in medical school to work towards that as an advocate and proponent, um for for that mission. Um, and so I think that's something that I also really enjoy. You know, I know that for student athletes, especially at high levels like the Ohio State, I think that when, you know, once you leave that, you there is a fall off sometimes. And I think people really struggle with that. You know, they were in the spotlight and now they're no longer in the spotlight. Like people, you know, revered them for what they brought to the table. And now they're not able to bring anything to the table anymore. And so I've just been blessed that I'm able to still, um, you know, be an integral part of multiple missions, um, uh, as I continue in my career.
1: That's a, that's a great point. And I think the key thing is that, that they think they have nothing else to bring to the table except for, you know, their, their sport. And you had mentioned that in, uh, the, the Colin Kaepernick, uh, article that you wrote on your blog, um, which I'll, I'll link up the blog in the, in the show notes, uh, for this episode. Oh, thank you um and another thing that i i really loved from that last statement was that it was the ability to continue to have highlights and one one yeah. of the i'm a country music guy uh, okay. I'm an all kind of music guy but also a country music guy and uh it. Kenny Chesney has this song called Boys of Fall and like in the music video it has this coach um and basically he was saying like you know Don't lose sight of how lucky you are to play football every single Friday night, you know, in high school, because once that's over, you still have the highlights, but they just—they don't come every Friday night. And I think to kind of hold on to that idea that you're still going to have the highlights in some other realm, but they're just, you know, have the you know, awareness that they're not going to be every Friday night. <laughs> um, yeah, hey,
0: I'm not, I'm not a country music guy, but maybe I need to start listening. This is, this is great. I'm, I am got a song I to listen to when this is all over.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll link up the video in the show notes too, uh, just because we talked about it, but, <laughs> yes. um, all right. So, so what, let, let's get into your, your playbook for becoming more than just an sure. athlete. So, um, Let's start off with, uh, this is all from your, your article that I'm getting this from. So excellence yeah. comes in all shades. And I feel like you might have touched on this a little bit, but let's let's start off with this one.
0: Yeah. So, you know, this is one where um, I talk about the physicians and the medical providers I saw at Howard University Hospital, uh, which is in um, a Northwest, uh, part of Northwest leading to downtown Washington, D.C. Um, and m- the majority of patients are African-American. Uh, so this is where I was able to see. Really, truly, like I said, all shades, I mean, all hues of, of brown and to recognize that, you know, I too could be uh, a medical provider, could be a physician, could be an anesthesiologist if I desired and if I worked hard to get there
1: great. And I was just thinking, I'm like, well, you know, what if someone's listening to this and they don't have the examples that you had, um, growing up and then I'm like, well, they're listening to this freaking episode and you're the example. Hey, exactly. So, there you go. I love it. <laughs> I, I appreciate you. And
0: like I said, I want people to, people can always reach out to me, um, in any way, shape or form. And I know we'll talk about that later, but that's, that's really why I wrote that article, right? Because we need more representation and mentorship for people that aren't able to see these examples.
1: That's great. I'm glad I can help get your story out here. So the next one is dream big. Sure. So, you know, my, my, one of my favorite lines um,
0: that I wrote is doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. And that was something that I have, I've seen that not only did I see that when I was in eighth grade, I've seen that when I was, you know, in college and I saw my friends that had some struggles in their science courses early on decide that, Medicine wasn't for them, you know. I remember a young lady told me she's like, "Hey, I took two science courses when I was a freshman. Um, I just had some bad advising. I didn't realize how much time, you know, was required to study for each one." And so, okay, so I just dropped it. And I was like, "Man, like, did you really want to be a doctor?" She's like, "Yeah, I mean, I did, but you know, I just you know, went a different route." And you know, and she's successful now. That's great for her, but I, I, I always think back to those times that I've heard this, where it was like, you know, my road was not easy. I've had exams that did not go well. I've certainly had um, uh, times that I wish I could have maybe done something different when it came to being being evaluated or times where I certainly thought, oh, like, you know, maybe I didn't put my best foot forward there, but I came back again, you know, and I I, could, I tell people I have tasted the floor many a times, you know, knocked out, but got back up, um, recognizing that, you know. You know, only I can pull myself up at times, you know, you can have encouragement from people, you can have people to give you advice, but at the end of the day, it's really a question of who who you are and, you know, how bad do you want it?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I know you, you you gave the example of like, yeah, how bad do you really want to be? Like, did you really want to be a doctor? I think the, the real question is like, yeah, how bad did you really want to be a doctor? Like, right. obviously you know, not that much. And I, I I can relate to that too, because when I went into Rutgers, you know, I'm big into health and safety, obviously in sports. So naturally I would go towards like an exercise science, physical therapy type route. But I went into the, you know, the first day when they kind of go over the exercise science curriculum and they kind of give you the rundown and they're basically like, yeah, if you don't get at least a, you know, a 3.6 GPA, then you're basically like, Gonna be a failure, and you're never gonna get a job. At least that right. was the filter in my head. So I'm like, right. eh, maybe I shouldn't do this. <laughs> I tell um, you,
0: there's always a way, and I say that because, like I said, when you look at point A to point B, everybody thinks it's a straight line, and maybe they don't think it's a straight line. Maybe they think it's like you know a line that has maybe one or two two little jolts in it to the side, but otherwise it's straight. I'm telling you, it is a squiggly line. It goes forward. It goes back. It goes left. It goes right. It goes up down sideways and eventually you get to, to that final point if you keep working hard enough to get there but there is always a way your way might take longer than others but there is always a way and I, I love to say that because um, I feel like you know my story fits that and I feel like there are other people I know that are now physicians that certainly had a point in their time where they thought I don't know if I can do this but clearly they did it
1: well while we're on the the topic of waiting um Let's talk about one of your other articles on your blog that I came across, which was from waitlisted to president. And I think sure. this fits nicely into what we were just talking about. It does. Yeah. No, thank you for bringing that one up.
0: Um, you know, this is something that I had highlighted actually as a reflection piece for uh, the Ohio State University College of Medicine. It was um, part of our curriculum for graduation. And so I wrote this because I remember when I was, I was, it was uh, May Um, May 2014, a few months before I ended up starting at Ohio State, and I was um, actually tutoring one of my best friends, or excuse me, tutoring one of my uh, former teacher's daughter uh, in science, in biology, okay? And I'm sitting there, and my phone starts to buzz because it was on vibrate and turned over so as not to uh, disturb us, and I just happened to look, and it was a, a Columbus, Ohio area code. Um, the 614 and I was just like oh my goodness like I was expecting that it was it was that that phone call that I had been waiting for months I mean literally since January when I had interviewed at Ohio State uh, January 8th 2014 from then until May um, the first week in May I had just been waiting every week hoping to um, get the call for being accepted mind you obviously in uh, around February I had found out that I was deferred and so when I uh, got that call I was obviously elated And then if you fast forward to August, when I started at Ohio State, I remember the first day, I was so nervous. I just, I was so happy to be there, so enthused about this opportunity to be at a top medical school um, and with a top curriculum and education and researchers and physician scientists and surgeons. Um, I just knew my education was going to be phenomenal as it was. Uh, But it's so funny because I'm, I'm really an outgoing guy. I'm not very timid, but I just remember like walking up with uh, like my stomach was in knots and butterflies. And to go from that guy to being the president of the student body as uh, an outgoing uh, MS four a fourth year medical student. I just I just look back and I'm, just, I'm I'm proud of myself, but I'm also just proud that I was able to um, to be myself, I think. And just to let people get to know me, you know, year after year. And, I, you know, and that by doing things for my classmates and for, you know, putting a positive light to Ohio State and, and kind of hope being an ambassador, it's hopefully how people saw me, I was able to earn this um, really very, very humbling distinction, you know, as a leader amongst leaders. Um, and so I could tell people, you know, it's not where you start, you know, I mean, at times it can be, but mostly it's not about where you start, it's about where you finish and where you end up. And that goes, you know, that's such a, a big part of who I am.
1: Would you say that your confidence was shook a little bit by getting waitlisted?
0: You know, I think that I expected it. I I I believe I really did expect that I would be waitlisted at first from Ohio State. I thought that, you know, they really take exceptional candidates that early in January. But to be waitlisted, you know, March, April and then May, and then finally, you know, I think that for sure, I was definitely, I was definitely downtrodden. Uh, I certainly was, um, was you know, sad at times. But I kept myself going. I was coaching at my high school, uh, at Georgetown Day School in Washington D.C., uh, and that was just you know, back to one of my other passions, track. You know, coaching young athletes that were just so hungry to be successful, both in the classroom and on the track, that it was a great distraction. And that's why I tell any of my mentees now when they're you know, waiting on stuff. I say, distract yourself with something that you love in life. That maybe you won't have as much time to do it once you get into medical school, because that call is going to come. We just don't know when.
1: No, that's great advice, and it's interesting that you know, in this kind of limbo area, you kind of fall back to the sport um, yes. when you know a lot of people kind of wouldn't wouldn't have the sport available. Um, right. But as right. a coach you in that capacity, you still could do it. Right, and I felt
0: and I and I fell back on helping others and i fell back on getting the opportunity to help direct these young minds and to say to them hey like i know that many of you are pursuing medicine one day or you hope to or pursuing law or pursuing um engineering well let me show you how track helped shape me in those realms you know let me show you what the perseverance dedication commitment to excellence how I use that on the track and then I use that in the classroom, especially cause I was working with freshmen and sophomores in high school. So still very easily, uh, valuable, you know, to help shape some of their habits.
1: Yeah, no, that, that was great. And, uh, normally I try to keep my guests from, from venturing off, but I'm the one who, who ventured off, uh, not completely off topic, but, um, I I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we did go off topic cause you said some great stuff in there. Thank you so, so much. So, uh, yeah, back to, um, the, the playbook outline of yeah. how to you know become more than an athlete. Uh, the next one up is uh, find a mentor who believes in your vision.
0: You know I get asked this all the time. Having a mentor is absolutely crucial. It's almost mandatory, if you will. And you need someone who is going to be by your side when things are going well, And be by your side when things are not going well. And so Dr. Ebony Hoskins, who I mentioned in my Seattle Times article, uh, she's a gyne-onk surgeon now uh, who will be starting at uh, Georgetown University and and Washington Hospital Center shortly here. So another uh, D.C. representation there. She, when I met her, had just finished residency. So, when I'm in now, currently, she had just finished. We were both at the National Cancer Institute. I was a summer student and she was there uh, doing a post residency uh, fellowship. And it was just great because she also, you know, has had some of her own test taking issues. And so there was this commonality, right? And then, like I said, she's always supported me when things are going well president of this, okay, college, she saw me do well, you know in my track successes and stuff of that nature, but she's always stayed on me too. Like if the ultimate goal is to be a doctor, what are you doing every day, every week, every month to get to that point, you know, to get to medical school? What are you doing in 2011, 2012 and 2013? So in 2014, you're ready. And then when I had that, that very long day, when I had just gotten some bad news, she was there once again, called her, picked up whatever she had going on, you know, I think she had finished seeing patients for the day. And after a long clinic day, she was ready to talk to me to get my spirits back up to help, you know, me, you know, settle some of my kind of animosity. And that's just, it's so valuable to have a person like that in your life. And I have a few, you know, to have somebody that can guide you in maybe research if you're on, you know, to guide me in when I decided I want to be an anesthesiologist, okay needed somebody like there. When I was interested in sports medicine, I had a sports medicine mentor who I still am very close to at Ohio State. So you you, you put these people in your life that are there for you no matter what, and, and you watch how much easier success is and how much easier it is now to actually avoid the pitfalls that some of your classmates, colleagues, or friends are going to fall into. And it's not their fault. They just didn't know better. But you will if you have a mentor who believes in your vision.
1: Right, that, that's that's great advice, but I'm curious because this is something that I've always struggled with, and yeah. you know, I was wondering if you have advice on how or to how actually to find. Like, find that mentor. Because I know myself, I've been like intimidated, and I, a lot of times I'll put people on a pedestal, sure. and you know, even when I have you know good conversations with people who I would love to be my mentor, um, I have a difficult time maintaining contact because I'm afraid I'm like bothering them or, or whatnot. Sure, and
0: so first step is that if you see someone that you're interested in men- in being your mentor, you contact them. You n- if you never contact them, they will never have the opportunity to say no or to say yes. So the first thing that, um, like I talk about when I met uh, Dr. Alexis Tingen, uh who mentored me when he was at Emory University in the Emory University Medical School or School of Medicine, excuse me, and I was a undergraduate student, I saw this guy walk off the track. He had a Princeton shirt on. I was like, okay. And I mean, literally, I mean, he was still fit as all get out. And I walked up to him and I introduced myself. He told me he was a medical student. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. We're walking out of the athletic center. I'm literally chasing behind him, ask him if he went to Princeton and ran track, to which he responded, yes, I had a, a former colleague who also ran at Princeton. So that started off this conversation, right? Find commonality with the person that you're seeking out. Whatever it may be, you know, if you know them or know of them, read about them and say, what do I, is there anything I have in common? Maybe a geographical commonality, maybe one of their interests is something that you're also interested in. So then that will help the first conversation be more natural and will give you or give anyone more confidence when they, when it comes to actually um, kind of furthering that relationship. And then, you know, it, it's, it's on you. Or on the person seeking the mentorship to actually reach out. And I know that can be a daunting task, but sometimes until a mentor becomes, until that relationship becomes more formed, a mentor is not going to reach out to you out of the blue. They're waiting for you to contact them. So with uh, so with Alexis, I uh he gave me his email or his cell phone. Um, after a few days or a week, I reached out to him. We grabbed coffee. Uh, we started talking a little bit about track and about medicine, and then the relationship just kept building, kept building, kept building. To now, he literally just sent me a picture of his uh his wife is now pregnant. Sent me a picture of the ultrasound, and literally that relationship started back in two thousand and. Uh, nine and, and 2008, 2009. And it's just, it's so crazy to me because it literally was just me running up to him and start and started a conversation, you know? So you got to take a chance. I think mentorship, finding a mentor is a lot about taking a chance and maybe that's not how it should be, but that's how it
1: is. That's like a, an amazing example story of like a real life scenario of like how exactly like to a T, how to forge a mentorship relationship. Um, yeah. Just lo- like looking back, I think the, the point that stuck with me the most was like, don't expect the mentor to reach out to you, you know, like nope. it's un- until you get to, you you form the relationship to a point where, yeah, they're like boys with you now, you know, exactly. because you, like you, it's your person. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's really cool. Um, all right, so uh, as we, the last point of of the uh, playbook outline for becoming a or for building an a- identity outside of your sport is uh, ask yourself, why not you? Yeah, this is
0: my um this phrase. What it stands for is one of the phrases that i um, I hold most dear to me. Um, when you see someone else and you see their success, you should believe that if they got to that point, you can get to that point. There should be no reason that you cannot achieve what they achieved. Now, with athletics, it's it's funny, with athletics we do see, obviously, there are certain limits, you know, certain limits when you take talent plus work ethic, you know, plus discipline, You know, sometimes that doesn't add up to the same (laughs) exponential number for all of us. But when you're talking about academics and just a a wide range of different occupations um, and life uh, ways that you can serve in life, there are so many amazing opportunities that people are giving up when they assume that they cannot achieve something that somebody else did because really they probably could achieve more with the level of, you know, insight to, oh, well, if they got this far, if I know what they've accomplished, now I can emulate what they did and I can add the next level, you know? So I just always, always look at people and I think, okay, you know, they did this. Um, They have gotten to this level of um, of acclaim. Well, I think I could do that. Now, mind you, you want to be true to yourself, you want to stay authentic. But I think when you start to not only believe why not you, but when your everyday actions are emitting a why not you aura, all of a sudden you'll see the different chances you'll take, the different risk that you'll take. And then the best part is things that you used to think were a risk, you're doing every day now. Oh, I thought it was a risk to email this person I want to be my mentor now and every day you email somebody different or now and every day you have a different connection that you used to be afraid to try to make so yeah uh, if he or she did it you can too and i think that that is one of the most powerful statements that we can uh, that we can can act on
1: no it's the great advice and i know myself personally like you know I, i'm I'm very goal oriented and I like to achieve and, and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of times I'm guilty of this too. Like you see someone who's successful and then it's not like, oh, at least in my head, it's not like, oh, I could definitely do that. If I do X, Y, Z, it's more right. of like you, you think of the million reasons why you couldn't do it, you know? Right. And like, you got to switch that, that thought process to, you know, a more productive, uh, yes, uh, way of thinking.
0: Yeah. You want, you're there to execute. You want to literally start to, like you said, you change your mindset and your actions will change.
1: Yep. Love that. Uh, all right. So as we wrap up our conversation here, um, obviously, this podcast has, has a lot to do with injuries and overcoming injuries uh, in sports. So did you ever uh, deal with any injuries as an athlete? You know, I was a sophomore. It was 2005,
0: and I was dealing with a hip um, hip flexor issue. Um, that kind of sidelined me for maybe a month to six weeks uh, where I had to do more stretches and um, sprinting was more difficult. So I was doing more long runs, more aerobic stuff. Um, and then it came back where in um, kind of post-collegiately, but early on in medical school, I was a first-year medical student. I had to have surgery. I had a torn labrum in my right, uh, in my right hip that was debrided and fixed uh, by a wonderful surgeon in, in D.C., And, um, so I have definitely, uh, dealt with injury, both obviously when I was an athlete in high school and then you're a first year medical student, you know, with a ton of information that you need to learn and you really don't have that much time to be away from the class, uh, room. Um, but still, you know, I was, you know, very uncomfortable. I was in a lot of pain, so it was just had to have the surgery. So like I said, in life, we all deal with different things at different times and sometimes you have to handle that situation and then get back right back on track.
1: Do you think that getting back on track was any easier for you because you kind of had a more well-balanced identity? It was, and because the balance, like
0: we talked about, doing well athletically pushed me to do well academically, and doing well academically pushed me to do well athletically when I was in medical school being healthy and able to go for a run after a long day of class or a long day of anatomy lab or after a long four-hour exam was it was therapeutic and it helped me recover both mentally and really physically in a way so when i wasn't able to have that when i wasn't able to run and exercise that was certainly detrimental to me both obviously athletically and it was detrimental to me in the classroom because I wasn't able to recover as well as I had been before from the daily stressors.
1: Interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic. How one helps you with the other. Um, do you have any advice for athletes uh, who are, you know, kind of struggling with overcoming an injury or um, maybe they're sidelined permanently with it, with an injury, just based off of your own experiences and uh, now as a doctor.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I know you guys have heard this, um, but you really are, you're more than your athletic ability. Um, I don't even want to say you're, you're, you're not only are you more than an athlete, but you're a student athlete. So if one is, is hurting, let's bring the other one up. If, if right now you're sideline, that's more time to read. That's more time to study. That's more time to delve into maybe writing reflections. You know, me writing, reflecting on some of my adverse, uh, adversity that I've overcome is what led me to writing these articles that, uh, Kevin's talked about to being published in the Seattle times led me to doing this podcast, right? So literally adversity led me to opportunities and accomplishments. I never thought I would have achieved. So I just, like I said, one sideline injury or one setback Uh, is setting you up for an amazing comeback. And I got to give that line to uh, Olympian coach Kadivas Robinson, who I was with under, uh, who I was under at the Ohio State University uh, track, which is uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but I got a chance to coach with the uh, middle distance team as a volunteer assistant coach my last semester of medical school last year. Um, and like I said, he had some wonderful and very powerful sayings. But I always he talked about a setback is setting you up for an amazing comeback, and I think that that um, that holds true. So if you're if you're sidelined, you know keep the faith. You're going to get
1: back. Yep. Take action in, in other areas. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So where can people connect with you online? Because I'm sure they, they will yeah. want to.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, I would love for you guys to connect with me. Um, I post a lot of um, quotes and motivational um, sayings at, uh, at Dr. JC of the DC, which is my uh, Instagram handle. Also at Dr. JC of the DC, DC on Twitter. Um, and on Twitter, I'm always talking about uh, Black men in medicine, minority uh, excellence, and um, you know, overcoming adversity. So uh, at Dr. JC of the DC on Twitter, on Instagram, um, I'll make sure that Kevin has my email, uh, jl.campbell11 at gmail.com. I'm always open to questions, always open to helping in any way I can. And I mean that, you know, don't take it for granted, try it and you'll see the results. So
1: Great. Uh, I'll link all those up in the, in the show notes. And last question, which I ask all my athletes, is uh, what's your definition of toughness? And maybe how has that definition evolved uh, over the years?
0: Yeah, I, I saw this question. I love it. Being tough is being aware. It's recognizing when you actually need to ask for help. It's recognizing what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Every medical school o- uh, interview always asks, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And they want to know that you're aware of weaknesses. Like you're aware if you are, you know, kind of um, obsessed and uh, with certain things. They want to know if you feel like you sometimes care more about others than your own education where, you know, it gets to the point where you are no longer able to uh handle uh that that you may, you know, your own education may fall to the wayside a little bit because you're you're helping somebody else, you know? Um, and there are obviously a bunch of other weaknesses and uh and strengths that we could talk about, but being tough is being aware, willing to ask for help when you need it, and knowing that you're gonna face something difficult at some point in your life. And when that comes, that you're ready to bounce back from it. You're not gonna let it defeat you. And that, that certainly is an important aspect of being tough. So mental and physical toughness, you know, makes up that work. It's not just about how much you can bench press or how many pull-ups you can do. It goes, it's hand in hand.
1: Dr. Campbell, loved our conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. And My your pleasure, sleep Kevin. deprivation to uh, <laughs> yeah to, to to tell your story and, and give us some advice on um, you know how to become more than just an athlete and you know you're a true example uh, of of exactly that so thank you.
0: Hey, thank you for having me, Kevin. Um, just uh, great discussion. So glad I could be here.
1: Of course.